Hi, everyone, and welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Dr. Sarah Stafford. I'm an endocrinologist in Surrey, BC, and I'm joined by my colleague, Gail McNeil, who's a diabetes educator and clinical nurse specialist from Toronto. This podcast is brought to you by Walmart Canada. Today, I am joined by Jenna Walsh. And so we have a wonderful guest uh, participant today in the podcast. Jenna completed her undergrad in human nutrition at the University of Guelph in 2008 and her dietetic internship through the Ottawa Hospital in 2009. She has been working as a clinical registered dietitian for over 12 years in rural Ontario between long-term care, primary care, and private practice. Her favorite accomplishments include development of Kids in the Kitchen, a six-week school-based cooking and nutrition program, and more recently, co-development of a six-week multidisciplinary virtual eating disorder support program. She became a CDE in 2017 and enjoys normalizing nutrition for those living with diabetes. She presented recently at the Diabetes Frontline Forum in 2022 and was also a member of the Scientific Committee and presenter for the Diabetes Frontline Forum in July of 2022. She lives in rural Ontario with her husband and three children. So Gail, you know, I know we talk about nutrition all the time in the clinic. It's obviously foundational to how we manage diabetes and support our patients who have diabetes. Can you think of any conversations where you've had with people where you've kind of struggled or needed some extra support on what you can do to help them through their questions? Well, thanks, Sarah. And thank you, Janet, for joining us this evening, this uh, today in the podcast. Uh, it is difficult. Nutrition discussions are always one of the problem areas, I guess, in, in diabetes management. And I particularly struggle with, with patients who are newly diagnosed because they, they often seem to be so overwhelmed. And I, I'm thinking right now of one of my patients, uh, Jan, she's a, a mother of three and she had gestational diabetes about 10 years ago. And of course, in the intervening years, she's gained weight and uh, she was recently diagnosed with type two diabetes. So when she came to the office the other day, she says, okay, I know what I need to do. I need to eat healthy and lose weight. And then her biggest question was, where do I start? Because she remembers the, the GDM diet as being somewhat restrictive and prescriptive. And so her attitude is a little bit negative in, in this scenarios. So I guess the question is, where do I start with somebody like, like uh, Jan? So Jenna, I think we encounter this conversation all the time. For me, it's often at the very end of a clinic visit, uh, someone saying, well, just can, can you just tell me what I should eat? I just, I just don't know. And I just want someone to tell me, just write down for me, what diet should I follow? And, you know, this is a common question and, and it doesn't have a straightforward answer. Uh, so how might you approach that type of a question? Yeah, great question. And I think we all have these, these patients that come in and my first my first question that I ask them is a, when they were diagnosed and what information they already know about diabetes and how food influences their diabetes. So, you know, it, it's different, obviously for each discipline in terms of how much time do you have with the patient, right? So if you have five minutes, the most common thing that I hear from patients when they come to see me is they were told to stop eating all the white stuff, right? No bread, no pastas, no rice, cut out sugar. And so typically these patients come to me so overwhelmed, unsure what to eat, and they are already starting on that path of, of feeling guilty when they're eating foods. So ideally, you know, uh, starting even where the guidelines kind of are with, you know, Mediterranean style, DASH, focus on what patients can actually eat more of. 
I find that already takes them from a place of feeling like they have to be restrictive to, oh, you know what? I, I need to eat more food. Most of the patients that I see aren't eating enough. They're not eating regularly enough. They're not eating enough vegetables, enough protein. So we focus there to start. That's great. That's a really good first step is kind of moving away from no, all these are all the things that are no to these are the things that are yes. And these are the things that are good and are going to help you. And, and you mentioned guidelines. So can you expand a little bit on the role of medical nutrition therapy in type one and type two diabetes? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so chapter 11 is the, is the nutrition uh, therapy guidelines. Fantastic in terms, I think my favorite line in the guidelines is really around the key is that they align with the patient's values and their preference and what is actually doable for them to adhere to for long-term. Because that's always the goal, right? We don't want the patients coming back to us in, in 12 months or, or six years or whenever completely back to square one, right? So if we can set them up with focusing on, hey, here's what we know about how nutrition influences your, your blood sugars and your diabetes management. And we have evidence for whether it's Mediterranean or it's DASH, you know, here's the starting point. We walk them through that. Absolutely. We talk about the types of carbohydrates, the amount of carbohydrates, the timing of carbohydrates and how they pair with other macronutrients as well as how other non-nutrition factors influence their food choices. So those parts are key. That's where we really start with, of course, into type one um, with, you know, MDI and, and whether they're pumpers, we're really focusing a lot more on carbohydrate counting for sure. I try to walk a little bit away from that with people with type two diabetes, um, again, so that they're focusing more on the enjoyment of food what their plate balance looks like, and then how their blood sugar management is. Okay, so it's a balance between, yes, here we know, here's the evidence. Let's pair that with where you are, what's doable, what's achievable, what's sustainable, and and we kind of work within that. So that definitely makes sense. And you mentioned um, ideas like the Mediterranean diet and the DASH diet. And, and these are diets um, per se that have evidence, certainly in the realm of cardiovascular disease as well. And if you were just kind of, you know, in a couple lines summarizing, what does that mean when I say to you Mediterranean diet or DASH diet? Um, mm-hmm. What does that mean to the patient? How would they kind of implement that really fundamental idea? Yeah. So again, really, I start with um, the basic principles in terms of most of, of your meal should be vegetable-based. Um, proteins in terms of if you can increase your plant proteins, if you can increase your fish. So again, focusing on adding as, a, as opposed to subtracting. It's very easy to say, hey, you know, have less packaged food, have less red meat. But again, it's negative. Focus on can you eat more fish every day? Can you eat nuts and seeds every day? Can you eat veggies at every meal? Can you eat more fruit? Whether it's frozen, whether it's canned, you know, whichever within their budget. Um, we, we talk about sodium, but again, we talk about it in a way that we need sodium and also the majority of high levels coming from more packaged food. So if you're eating mostly homemade, it's really typically not too much of something to stress about. So we really emphasize that as well. So we take just a very simplified approach in terms of, you know, it's a lifestyle, the way of eating. It's sitting down at the table, taking time to eat, eating slowly, not rushed in the car. And uh, again, the whole sort of wholesome factor around it. 
that really aligns with where I think the Canada Food Guide moved towards emphasizing whole foods, right? So this concept of whole foods and avoiding as much as we can those processed foods and replacing them with these nice whole foods and healthy choices and vegetables and homemade options. Um, so that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. But then people usually come in and they're like, well, I'm going to go keto. That's uh, I talked to my friend and they did this and I'm going to be keto now. Um, how do you respond to that kind of statement? Yeah. So my, my RD brain and, uh, you know, in terms of working with an evidence, we do have a lot more studies coming out that, that really do look at lower carbohydrate diets and ketogenic diets as being very beneficial to those living with diabetes. And so, uh, we look at both sides, you know, I do go through some of the newer studies that are coming out and then we, we dive deep into here's the feasibility, here's the cost. This is what your meals are going to look like. Uh, this is what social settings might look like. If you're living with a family, you know, how do we normalize the fact that you're not having pasta, but you're asking your kids to eat pasta and not make that a, a, a bad food or a guilty food or, you know, something that causes disease. So I'm, I'm really frank with that, especially more with how I, I work within eating disorders and disordered eating. Um, I also talk a lot about, you know, where it came from. It was developed for epilepsy. It is full on medical nutrition therapy and it needs to be monitored. It is not something to go find a meal plan off of Google and just go to town with. So I think the key part, right? So those patients that typically come in wanting to do keto, they've, they've done the research typically, or they're looking for kind of that quick fix, you know, get, get this going for me. And so what I try to get them to understand is it's okay if this doesn't work for you long-term. Because food is one piece of your management. There's your activity, there's your sleep, there's your stress, there's your, you know, pharmacotherapy, there's all these other pieces. And so if, if after, you know, a year or so, it is too much, because that's also where the data shows us, right, it is not sustainable long term. I'm pretty frank about that. Yeah, and I, I think that is a really practical approach because I, I certainly end up in this conversation fairly regularly in my clinic. And I t- try to frame it in the same way that there is evidence. And if this is something that works for you, you know, I'm certainly open to this option. Um, but the fundamental idea of reducing carbohydrates and replacing them with healthy fats and proteins is a really nice first step in that direction that will improve their diabetes. Um, and for many people, that approach is, seems to be a bit more sustainable long term because I like what you said early is what we're really looking for is how to make these changes in a way that the individual can continue them, right? So they don't do it for a year and then just revert back to what they were doing now. And so, you know, definitely heading in that reducing of carbohydrates and whether they end up keto or they end up low carb, you know, there are many options that might work for individuals. Um, Similarly, a lot of people are coming and saying they want to do intermittent fasting. And so how do you approach that question? Really with the same uh, sort of conversation, right? So um, from the, the, the research that I found long-term, um, you know, I look at the lifestyle for the patient. If they're just not a breakfast person and they'd rather start eating at, you know, 11 or 12 and have more of a time-restricted eating, we talk about that. Um, if they're on medications, sometimes the intermittent fasting where they're doing like a five and two, where they might completely be fasting for 24 hours of two days, it's, it's kind of tricky. There are certain medications, right, that we that we need to be really mindful of uh, reducing uh, and even with a low carb uh, or ketogenic diet. So we have that conversation um, and also what their goals are. So if they've researched uh, intermittent fasting because of weight loss and that's their underlying goal, 
again, we look at the long-term sustainability and I, I really try to encourage them to consider where else there's evidence. Um, I, I struggle again, like I said, with, with bridging between the disordered eating. And so when we are going through a few days a week where again, we're restricted to a time and we're not listening to those innate hunger cues, it's just really something that we look at in terms of, okay, well, what if instead we just kind of close that eating window? So it's not, doesn't feel like a free for all every single day, but we feel and look at, you know, again, if it's 10 to six and that works really well for you every day, let's look at that. That definitely makes sense. And I, I think that some people have tried, you know, different variations and some find a strategy that works really well for them and some test it out and that's not the direction they want to go. And a few times you've mentioned disordered eating and eating disorders. And, you know, this is certainly something that I see, especially in individuals with type one diabetes, um, you know, using their insulin or their diabetes in part of that interaction with weight. Um, what, what are your thoughts on eating disorder risk as we kind of interplay with medical nutrition therapy and diabetes? Yeah, so I mean, we know obviously uh, risk of, of eating disorders and disordered eating is, um, is high across all of our patients. When we're, when we're already looking at imposing dietary rules on a patient and potentially creating an environment where they have good foods and bad foods, good foods and bad foods in terms of they're also having to measure the response their body's having. So not necessarily just the scale, but they're looking, you know, every single time they eat to see whether there's a good or bad response. And so we're, we're putting them in such a restrictive and negative food environment. So it's something that, again, I'm, I try to be very mindful with my language around those foods when we're doing the education around nutrition. So I'm very clear to say there are no good or bad foods. You need to test your blood sugars so that you can find out how your body tolerates certain foods. On a given day, with a given stress level, with how you slept, with how you've moved, with what medications you're on in that day. And on a different day, you may totally tolerate that food. And that's okay. And we look at, there may be some times where you know, you are following more of a lower carbohydrate meal plan and you feel good and blood sugars are in target. There might be a time that you go out for dinner and you're going to, you know, blood sugars might be a bit higher. That's still okay. So we very much try to normalize those foods to reduce that long-term risk because you're right. Any medications can influence how they're doing in terms of their, their diabetes. Insulin's a big one. There are a lot of patients also who are fearful of MDI and do rapid insulin because they will have read or been told that there's an increased risk of waking. And so if weight is already on the table for them as something that is negative, again, that risk is just that much more compounded. So I'm really just checking in frequently to see how they're doing, where that diabetes distress level is at and, and how they're feeling with food. And you mentioned just now diabetes distress. Uh, how is that kind of assessed and how do we watch for that and help with that with patients? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, hopefully most uh, educators are aware of the diabetes distress scale. Um, so, I mean, that's definitely used formally in our clinic. For me, it's more just questions that I'm asking. You know, how are you coping? I think that's one of the most valuable questions even to ask at a first encounter when a patient is first diagnosed with diabetes. It's a, it's a heavy thing to receive. It's a heavy diagnosis sometimes. And so... I thought if I start off by saying, how are you coping with that diagnosis? Right away, it sort of divides it into, they're either coping really well and they'll say to you, you know, uh, it was the kick in the pants I needed to make a change or they're completely overwhelmed. 
And so for both of those types of patients, it's something that I think is really important to check in every once in a while. Like, how are you managing? How are you feeling with food? How are you feeling with your with testing your blood sugars? You know, how are you feeling with taking medications every day? It's just a really simple ask. Absolutely. I think, you know, fundamentally, we're all on this journey together, right? And so we're all part of this big team that includes the patient, the patient's family being really important in their environment and their life, or their healthcare providers, and that might be their physicians and the diabetes educators and team of nurses and all of these people who are participating in helping the patient, you know, manage this diagnosis, manage their diabetes, and make small changes that are going to put them heading in a good direction. And so I think you've given us some really nice food for thought on how to deal with diabetes and medical nutrition therapy. And I really appreciate the insights you provided. Um, Gail, based on this conversation, what do you think you can take back to clinic tomorrow? Oh, thanks, uh, Janet, for all your, your really, really good tips. I find that you're very practical in your approach. And I love the part that you're so upbeat about it, okay, and patient-focused. Um, I think one of the things I'm going to very clearly suggest to, to, to uh, Jan, my, my patient, is to forget that idea about the diabetic diet. And I love your term about normalizing nutrition and talk about how food influences their diabetes. So the first thing with Jan I'm going to do is I'm going to have her monitor her blood sugars so she can see how the food is changing or the numbers are changing along the way. And I heard you clearly stay on the positive note. So one of those questions you said is, what can I eat more of? And so I, I think I'll start in that avenue with her. I heard you clearly plant-based and increasing the vegetables. And thank you, Jennifer, for your approach for the keto and the intermittent fasting. We're often asked about those particular diets as such. And I, I get a little query about them sometimes because I think people are not really, as you say, they're taking it off the internet. So when they start talking about the keto and intermittent, I would much prefer to go along with them, but refer them to definitely refer them to a nutritionist or dietitian on that part. And I heard you very clearly, okay, is that anything that we're suggesting or working with the patient needs to be feasible, cost-effective and sustainable. And as I say, I love the idea, keep upbeat, okay? Because people have had a negative, some, a lot of patients have had negative experiences in the food avenue. So stay upbeat and stay positive and definitely practical and patient focused. So thank you so much for your tips today. I really appreciate them, Jen. Thank you so much, Jenna, for joining us today. It was a really wonderful conversation. I think I learned a lot about how to approach nutrition and management of diabetes. So thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Please help us improve our future podcasts by filling out the survey in the show notes. Thanks for joining us today. If you have questions about the episode or about becoming a member of the Diabetes Canada professional section, please email professional.membership at diabetes.ca. Special thanks to Adam Humphreys for providing the music for today's podcast.